Welcome to the City Life podcast. I'm Danae Jones, and today I'm joined by Doug McKinstry and Ben Meredith of WGC Lawyers. And we're talking about the building industry and the trends that are emerging at the moment. So Doug, what are you seeing out there in the marketplace? Well, I suppose pleasingly, the reports are that the housing sector will remain strong through well into 2024, um, but there will be supply chain issues and uh, pressures on pricing with uh, material costs and labour shortages. But generally, there's a positive outlook for the industry for the next uh, 18 to 20 months. Whilst we expect there'll be uh, easing of the supply chain issues, um, there will still be problems with freight, uh, whether that be by air, rail, road, um, and that will put pressure on uh, delivery of materials to sites in a timely manner, which can put pressure on contractors to deliver their projects on time. But good contractors are factoring in uh, these uh, delays uh, with their clients and discussing these matters with their clients. And good contractors will always um, have a good communication with their clients so that there's some understanding and uh, take the pressure out of the contractual disputes that may otherwise arise. So what about new builds and renovations? Well, obviously with the surge in new builds and renovations, there's a price escalation causes uh, and availability of materials, but most of the savvy builders are factoring that into their pricing and they must do so to protect their uh, the risks uh, inherent in the building industry. And so Ben, what about skill shortages? Are you seeing any ongoing issues there that are arising? Absolutely. Um, since COVID in March 2020, um, we've continued to see issues with builders finding skilled labour, um, the availability of skilled labour. The issue is multifaceted, but one of the big issues is the lack of skilled migrant workers. So what should a building contract look like? Well, look, generally a building contract will use a format like a master builders or an HIA contract um, as a template. Um, most of those contracts are going to be fixed price contracts. A fixed price contract is where the owner and the builder agree to the price upfront. Um, and absent a variation or changes to prime or provisional sum items, um, that amount is locked in. It doesn't rise, it doesn't fall. Um, the alternative is a cost plus contract. A cost plus contract is where a owner pays for the price of the material and the price of labour, and they pay as well uh, an amount for builders' profit. Cost plus contracts aren't nearly as common as fixed price contracts. Uh, mostly because of the uncertainty involved in the final price and the abilities to get lending uh, as well. And that, that comes down to just the uncertainty about what is the owner going to pay uh, for the building work that's going to be done. And so what should all contracts have? Regardless of whether or not it's a fixed price or a cost plus contract, every contract should have very clearly the names of the parties that are entering into the contract. Um, and that includes if it's by way of a company or a trust, those things should be recorded on the contract. It should always have the builder's license number clearly placed uh, on the contract. It should have a start and an end date or a method of figuring out when it starts or when it finishes. And it should also have a clear description of the works uh, so you know what's getting built for the price that you're gonna pay. At the end of the day, all of these things combined uh, are there to answer three things, which is price, performance, and practical completion. How much am I paying? What's being built? And when is it going to be finished? So project price and practical completion, how do you manage those key considerations? Well, every project is different and has different risks that need to be managed. For example, some projects may require development approval uh, and may have a later or changed commencement date. 
Um, alternatively, other projects may have specific risks to the builder regarding materials or labour that need to be managed, or uh, an owner may require a particular type uh, of material to come in, um, and there may need to be some special conditions around the accessibility of that uh, item of material, uh, or when it's going to be delivered, or even if it makes its way into Australia. Uh, so it will vary, but the real key skill is in identifying those issues, identifying them early and dealing with them in a way that both the owner and the builder understand how that risk is going to be managed. So what are some of the common issues in terms of contracts? Well, well as we've touched on with the rapid escalation in the price of materials and labour, um, from a contract perspective, we've been trying to protect builders and consumers you know, alike with these rapid increases in the prices. So that's been a challenge because uh, whilst the escalation clauses in commercial contracts uh, have favour, with the lenders wanting certainty about price, we haven't been able to really uh, do too much with cost escalation clauses in domestic building contracts. So that's what I've said before, with builders factoring in those cost increases, the savvy builders being uh, in tune with what price increases might be and factoring them into their contract price. So that's always been a pressure point, but delivering a fixed price contract and certainty in price has been a challenge in the last 12 months uh, and allocating the risk as Ben's touched on. Common uh, disputes we see in the building industry, in the, in the contractual uh, disputes, are about variations. Variations are required by the contracts to be agreed to in writing before the work performed so again to deliver certainty as to what the price increase or decrease may be so that's always a common issue uh, that arises the other pressure on price is uh, with uh, prime cost and provisional sums they're items where the final selection by the client hasn't been made the cost therefore is uncertain but over reliance on provisional sum and prime cost items doesn't uh, sit well with the banks again looking for certainty in price so trying to uh, manage the balance of getting certainty in the price uh, but not uh, having too many provisional sum and prime cost items, that's always uh, been a challenge. And of course, um, with uh, shortages and delays, delays in materials, uh, the delay claims uh, and extension of time claim provisions in the contract have come heavily into play over the last 12 months. And it's very important that builders who uh, have a right to claim a delay, uh, an extension of time due to delays beyond their control, claim those delays so that they're not uh, faced with uh, liquidated damages or, or pre-agreed damages if the contract runs over time. So there's always a pressure, of course, owners want their house built on time um, and when a builder likes to uh, or has the right to uh, claim an extension at that time, there's always some resistance. Uh, the other issue that commonly arises uh, in our practice is defective work and the tendency of owners to judge incomplete work as defective. Obviously under a building contract, a builder has an obligation to carry out work in a good and tradesmanlike manner in accordance with all laws and regulations and sometimes there's a dispute as to whether those standards have been met. Are all these matters insured and covered under the insurance scheme? No. Uh, the Queensland Building Construction Commission has a statutory insurance scheme to protect uh, clients, but that doesn't extend to contractual disputes such as we've spoken about. What the insurance scheme covers is if a builder does uh, defective work and fails to rectify it when directed to do so by the QBCC, then the, Queen, the QBCC can engage another builder to carry out the rectification work at the original builder's cost. The other uh, common claim in the statute insurance scheme is where a builder doesn't complete the work on time and for whatever reason allows the contract to be terminated or goes insolvent and can't complete the work, well the insurance scheme will help in that situation. But there's always 
limitations on what can be claimed under the scheme and there's also time limitations when claims must be made. So it's always very important that you seek early advice to ensure that you can take advantage of the insurance scheme. Non-structural defects must be notified within a reasonably short period after the defect is noticed, uh, but structural defects or your more uh, serious defects, that's covered for six years and six months from the date the work is completed. But again, you still have to notify uh, the claim within a short time after becoming aware of the defect. It's important to know there's also a cap on that statutory insurance scheme liability. Uh, under general cover, it's $200,000. Uh, if you take out additional coverage, $300,000. And in most instances, that would be sufficient coverage. But in rare occasions, uh, the insurance scheme is not sufficient to cover, particularly when a builder goes uh, broke during the build uh, and the cost to complete the work is beyond that $200,000 or $300,000 cap. So explain to us, how can disputes between builder and client be resolved? Well, prevention is better than a cure. So clear communication between builder and owner and setting expectations so that they can be met is a great way to avoid those disputes occurring uh, early. If you do fall into a dispute, it generally is resolved in one of three ways, negotiation, mediation, or litigation. Negotiation is quite simply just the process of working it out between builder and owner without other people being involved. So this can be a site meeting between builder and owner in an attempt to resolve the issue, or it can be something a little bit more formal. Uh, people like the QBCC, Master Builders and HIA all offer third parties who might come in and assist, an attempt to assist, in a resolution of a dispute between a builder and an owner. But they can't create anything that isn't there, and if the parties aren't there and engaging with a genuine uh, need and desire to actually resolve the issue, then often that issue remains unresolved. So what about mediation as an option? Well, mediation is a very common form of dispute resolution. The difference between uh, mediation and uh, direct party negotiation is it involves a neutral person, a mediator, who assists the parties to facilitate meaningful and genuine discussion to resolving the dispute. Often when you have the parties in dispute in a room with a, an experienced mediator, the mediator can assist the parties in identifying the issues to be mediated and they can achieve better outcomes than direct negotiation between the parties. Uh, the industry uh, recognises that with the use of experienced uh, mediators, often the outcomes are much better for clients than uh, the parties are able to negotiate between themselves. So what about litigation as an option? Well, litigation occurs when parties are unable to resolve a dispute. Uh, often mediation occurs in the course of uh, litigation, so proceedings have been commenced, but the mediation has failed and the litigation proceeds. Litigation is costly, it's risky, it's stressful, uh, and of course, if you lose, then there are cost consequences and getting a silver medal in court can be very costly to a party. So the role of a lawyer is to try and manage that process uh, and put the client in the best possible chance of winning should the matter proceed to a court and the decision of the court uh, is required. Okay. And with litigation, uh, you don't make money out of litigation. All you can do is control your loss or maximise your return. That's been some really helpful advice. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Danae. Thanks for joining us on the City Life podcast. If you'd like some more information about this topic, head to citylifemedia.com.au or reach out to one of the experienced team at WGC Lawyers. <laughs>